Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast with me, Andrew Millen. And as always, you're very welcome to the show. My guest on episode 11 will be former professional footballer and Celtic fan, Jim McCallion. This episode has been kindly sponsored by the Brian Hogan Celtic Supporters Club down in Tipperary. I'd like to thank all the members for the continued support of the fanzine and our independent Celtic fan media platform. As the Celtic fans go, Adidas Looney. Without doubt, it's nice gear, but at the moment I'm more interested in the Fraser Foster saga, if I'm honest. For whatever reason, we just can't seem to get the deal over the line. But I do expect some more twists and turns before a ball is kicked or saved on August the 1st. I'm hearing he's getting paid £90,000 a week to sit in the stands down in Southampton. He's going to have to take a majority pay cut if he comes and joins Celtic on a permanent deal. First team football and another shot of Europe at a rewards. We could extend his loan deal and that would maximise his earnings. I would imagine his wages would be paid in part by Celtic and a big part by Southampton. As third choice keeper at the moment down with the EPL side, getting these wages, I'm sure his current employers would like to get him off the wage bill. Celtic have a pay scale, and even with us going for the 10 in a row, a very important season looming, I don't think we're going to match anywhere near the money he may be looking for. I'm sure there's a plan B or a plan C, but don't forget Scott Bain, a decent goalkeeper. I can't remember him ever letting us down, and Brendan Rodgers always had faith in him. We don't have a goalkeeping crisis, but it ain't good. Craig Gordon's left. We need to prioritise the goalkeeping spot. With Scott Bain the only one left from those first three experienced keepers from last season. On a positive note, Mo Elanusi has signed. And if him and Mikey Johnson stay fit, there'll be a quality battle for that position in the starting lineup. And it also gives Neil Lennon options to think about how he sets his team out for different games. If he's going to go one up top or two up top with Griff and Eddie, which worked out so well after the winter break. I'm so lucky to get the chance to chat to all these guests on the podcast and today was no different. 
Here's how we got on when I chat to Jim. My guest on episode 10 is Jim McCallyog, Glasgow-born Celtic fan. Jim McCallyog never donned the hoops, but what a career he had down in England. Leeds, Chelsea, Sheffield Wednesday, Wolves, Manchester United and Southampton. And will forever be remembered for scoring the winner for Scotland in the 3-2 win over World Cup winners England back in 1967, a year that all Celtic fans remember. Jim, you're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. How has life been in lockdown? Life has been good, Andrew. We've, uh, we've made the best of it, me and Debbie, and uh, we've enjoyed it. We've had a lot of work to do outside the house, so obviously hoping that we could open up again for the, the B&B. So we've been kept very busy. And, of course, the weather's been good because I like doing a bit of sunbathing. Oh, yeah. That's the old vein coming back out. Yeah, it was a thing I always used to do when when I was playing. Uh, and the end of the season, we'd maybe get five or six weeks holiday. And I'd usually go for a week in Jersey and three weeks in Marbella. So I, I loved the sun. I kind of followed it for a bit. But that, that just recharged my batteries for getting back to starting pre-season training again. Just uh, when you're talking about pre-season, before we kick on in, most players I speak to hated pre-season. John Hart and Paul Bourne, Scott McDonald, and this, you know, all played in different eras for Celtic, but they all hated it because they loved having a couple of points during the summer. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a fair point. Uh, I think we know when we go back for pre-season, it's going to be pretty tough, but... What you do in the pre-season is what helps you throughout the season. And throughout my career, it helped me absolutely, Andrew, because, you know, at one spell at Wolves, I played 77 games on the trot. So that that proved it, um, that, you know, a good pre-season is, is what you've got to aim for. Now, I'm going to take you back a bit, Jim. You joined Leeds as a teenager after playing for the Glasgow schools. Can you take the listeners back to your childhood and those teenage years in Glasgow? Who were you influenced? Were you influenced by Celtic players back then? And did Celtic ever come in for an offer because you were a youngster in demand? Yes, Celtic, uh, Celtic came to, to sign me twice, Andrew, but unfortunately I'd already decided to go to Leeds and then I'd decided to go to Chelsea. But there was a guy called John Murphy who was our head gym teacher and he used to read out the teams at Celtic Park, and he, he knew most of the people at Celtic Park. And when I first went to Holyrood from St. Francis Boys, Boys um, School, John Murphy called me in his office on my first day at Holyrood. I was 13, and he says, nice to meet you, James. And he says, Celtic is going to be keeping tabs on you. But the thing was, I went back to the classroom and because the message had come over the tannoy, all the, the lads, the, my schoolmates were saying, you know, are you in trouble? And, of course, I couldn't tell them what John, John Murphy had already said because they think, what a big-headed so-and-so he is. So I had to keep that to myself. I've obviously followed Celtic when I was a boy. I used to sneak down to Celtic Park. My dad wasn't really that much bothered about football. But we used to sneak under the, the turnstiles or get over the turnstiles and, and look at some uh, the great players that Celtic had uh, in, in the, the 50s, Andrew. And uh, there, there certainly was, and a lot of my heroes were, I was fortunate enough to see Charlie Tully. There was quite a lot of Irish guys. 
John Fallon, obviously, I've seen a wee bit of him. Uh, I've seen a bit of Neely Mocking, Bertie Old. But probably my, my, my biggest hero is Celtic Park because I, I, I like to play with the ball and I like to pass the ball. It was Paddy Crerant. And Paddy was a, a big influence. And of course, he was from the same district as me, Andrew, which was the Gobbles. We were both born in the Gobbles. And, and funnily enough, we both went to Holyrood Senior Secondary. Uh, did Charlie Gallagher, um, Charlie was in the Gobbles as well, obviously Paddy's cousin. So there was some talent knocking about the Gobbles. Yes, uh, there certainly was. Um, it was not only in the football side of it, there was a lot in the music scene as well. And, and also in the boxing scene, you know, I used to walk from the Gobbles to Celtic because I lived in Cali Road. So I, I just walked straight out Cali Road, keep on going past Shawfield and, and that would take me to Parkhead. Now, you obviously know what it's like to come true as a young player. Celtic have produced plenty of talent through the ranks over many decades. And the current team of James Forrest and Mikey Johnson, just to name two. But... There's so much pressure on those players to win the 10 now. Do you think that this will stop the club maybe feeding young players through until the end of this season? Because it's just such an important historical season. Well, I think that's going to be up to, obviously, Neil, because Neil is seeing them at first hand. Uh, Andrew, with, with due respect to the, the fans, we, we see the team on a, on a Saturday afternoon or a, a midweek game. But Neil sees them throughout the week. And that's what Neil's job is. And, and he's, by the way, he's doing a great job. That's what Neil's got to look out for and see who he thinks is maybe going to give him an edge somewhere. And Mikey Johnson and, and James Forrester are obviously great players, although they're young lads. And um, they, they, they've handled the occasion before. And I, I think you've always got a good chance for young players. I tend to think I would put young kids in and give them a chance, even if there's pressure in there, because there's a lot of pressure trying to be a footballer. So they've come through all of that. So, no, I, I would be quite happy putting young players in. And obviously you made your debut at 18 at Chelsea when you moved from Leeds. You also became the most expensive teenager in Britain when you moved to Sheffield Wednesday. So you're in a good position to judge this. We took in a young player last year, well, a number of young players, but one shined, young Frimpong. He's done really well since he arrived at the club. He forced his way into the team, maybe before people thought he would, because I, I remember speaking to William McStay and it was kind of like, yeah, it'll take a while to get these in. But he was in the team quite young. Did he impress you? Absolutely, because he was coming. The, the side that me and Debbie watched the matches is the other side from the tunnel. So, of course, we got a, a really good look at the young boy and he's he's a great prospect and... Uh, you know, it's great when you're, especially a defender, you're under pressure and you've got a wee guy like him that you can feed the ball to him and he'll, he'll take it away down the wing and he'll take people on. And he's always looking to get forward. So, yeah, I, I think he's very impressive. Uh, I think it was a shame he got that injury. It was just one of them things that happens in football. I think it was against Kilmarnock he got the injury. And uh, that kind of stopped him for a little while. But no, I, I think he's a great prospect. And I think uh, Neil's got a great side there. And 
I, I was also quite impressed with the, the other right back, El Hamid. So, you know, uh, you know, there's going to be competition for places there, all depending on how Neil plays it, if he plays three at the back or whatever system that he's going to use. But um, I, I think his tactics have been very good, Neil. Yeah, especially since they come back uh, after the winter break. They really put uh, the foot down. Now, at the moment, as a Celtic fan like me, you're spoilt as the rest of us are. Trophy after trophy. Players are picking up medal after medal. But you were very unlucky in your career in finals. You lost out in an FA Cup final with Sheffield Wednesday. Are you away for cup final with Wolves before finally winning the FA Cup at Southampton against Man United after Tommy Doherty had sold you to them after winning promotion with United, who you suffered relegation with. So it's been a topsy-turvy career. This Southampton final must really stick out. Yeah, that, that obviously is the big one, the, the FA Cup final. But the, the, the thing was, when I was at Chelsea, Andrew, we, we won the League Cup. It was a different kind of tournament then. It was uh, home and away, and not all the teams were actually in it. So I was fortunate enough to win it with Chelsea, although I didn't play in the final. And it was the same at Wolves. I'd played most of the games in the League Cup at Wolves, uh, when Wolves won it back in the 70s. Um, but I was um, I was disappointed because I'd had a, a fallout with the manager just in the February before before the final of the League Cup. And, of course, I wasn't selected for the final. But Wolves won, so I was very happy for the boys. But I think the thing is, is you know, we can't all win everything, Andrew. And like you say, we've we've been spoiled. Uh, we've watched Celtic win in so many games. And uh, it just always, sometimes it's not to be, Andrew. You know, because uh, uh, there's been a lot of great teams that have not won finals there's been a lot of great players that haven't even played in finals. So as far as I'm concerned about winning and losing, you know, it's uh, it's better to have taken part in the final, Andrew. <laughs> the, the one uh, place I, I didn't like losing was a semi-final because, of course, you don't get to the final. You don't get to Wembley. No, well, Wembley was always my big goal, Andrew, because as kids, we, we used to always go for the Glasgow Green. But we, when we were on our way back, we used to sneak into the Bowling Green and and get the jackets down and play on the Bowling Green as though we were at Wembley. So Wembley was always a big motivation for myself. And you graced it a few times. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I mean, the, the game we played in the, the Charity Shield, I, I thought was marvellous. We played Liverpool after we'd won the Cup and Liverpool won the league that year. And Liverpool only beat us 1-0. And uh, it was a very warm day, I remember that. But that was great to play Liverpool. And, and we, nearly, we nearly beat Liverpool on that day as well. You know, we'd have sorted two very good teams out, Man United in the Cup and... And Liverpool in the charity shield. Oh, brilliant. Was that Laurie McMenemy was manager? Yeah, that's Laurie. Laurie, I, I don't know how well up you are on your history, but I'm sure there's a lot of the, the, the guys listening, Celtic fans. Laurie McMenemy, there was a, a great guy called Jimmy McMenemy who used to play for Celtic years ago. Uh, so I don't know, Andrew, I'm not great on it, but I, I know that his family was associated with uh, McMenemy family. A Celtic, so... You wow, I didn't know that. 
We might have to ask Dave a part of that one. Yeah, we need to uh, go to the historians. Jim, 10 in a row. You remember the first nine in a row Celtic done. Uh, we both have memories of Rangers equal, isn't it? Both teams were favourites to do the 10, but failed. Firstly, have you any memories of that nine in a row campaign and then when they didn't reach the 10, the original Celtic nine in a row? Yeah, well, you know, back then they were they were going for the nine, the ten wasn't such a big uh, number because, of course, when when Rangers got the nine, then it made it a a bigger number now for Celtic to do it. But I think Celtic's up to it. Um, I've I've every confidence that they'll they'll do it this year. Uh, I think they didn't play as well as I know they can play uh, in one of the Rangers games. But no, I, I think that the Neil's got to take the pressure off them as, as, as much as he can. But I think if they just carry on with how they finish the season, I, I think there'll be too much for everybody else. And I'm absolutely convinced, not putting any pressure on the boys, that they will get 10 in a row. You sound very confident, Jim. Absolutely. And do you think, do you, think you spoke about Neil there, do you think he can learn from maybe the mistakes made by Jock Stade? Because no one thought Celtic could be beaten that season. And if memory serves me right, and the history books serve me right, I think Celtic finished toward behind Rangers and Hibs. I'm not sure about that, Andrew, but Jock Steen casts a big shadow, doesn't he? Yes, he sure does. Uh, Jock certainly knew his stuff. And, uh, and, and of course, Neil's played at a good level as well. And uh, he's had quite a few years now in the management side. And everything that I think he's done up to now, he's done very well. And of course, he's, he's maturing even more so than he was X amount of years ago. So, like I said, I'm absolutely convinced they will do 10 in a row. OK, I'm going to rewind a bit now, Jim, uh, back to your playing career. All the goals you scored, you know, you spoke there about Cup Foyle and the Charity Shield. I know there's other highlights. I know you scored against Juventus in, in the run to the UEFA Cup final, which was a two-legged affair then, I believe. And, and it was Tottenham that beat you in the final. And you also had that famous goal at international level against England. Can you tell us a, like, a little about some of the highlights of your career, some of the ups and downs, and maybe some of the players you played alongside or played against? Yes, uh, the, the the highlight, obviously, of my career was the, the thing that I dreamed of and what I wanted to do, and that was to play for Scotland. And, of course, to, to play alongside the team that I was actually in, it was quite an amazing team. There were some great players in there. Um, Dennis Lord, Jim Baxter, Billy Bremner. Um, that's talking about the Anglos. And then, of course, you've, you've got the, the Lisbon Lions. Um, Little Bobby Lennox um, and Tommy Gemmel and Willie Wallace and Ronnie Simpson. I mean, they were in the team. It was a fabulous team and it was a fabulous day. And I think a lot of people talk about the game, but I, I think the, the important thing on that day was that Bobby Brown picked a team for that game. And I think the team just responded so well. Uh, but we should have perhaps scored a few more goals, Andrew. You know, Dennis certainly would have liked a few more because he'd been in the 9-3 game when Scotland had lost 9-3. So to beat the world champions uh, on their own pitch uh, after them being unbeaten for 19 games was obviously the, the, the greatest highlight of my of football career. 
The biggest other things that I, I liked in my career, obviously, was the FA Cup final. Sadly, when I was 19, played for Sheffield Wednesday against Everton, who were the Bank of England club uh, for Everton, uh, who, which was Everton then. Uh, John Moores, who, who had the pools, he was the owner of Everton as well. Um, and, of course, we were 2-0 up and we lost 3-2. Well, at 19 years of age, that was really pretty hard to take. But you have to take it, Andrew. You have to move on. You, you don't have to look back and you know, in anger as it was. You have to look forward and take the experience out of it. And I remember the, the FA Cup final going back up the tunnel and saying to myself, I need to come back to Wembley again. Even though we'd got beat, I wanted to get back. Fortunately enough, I was back the following year for Scotland. And, and then, of course, it was another nine years until I got to the final again uh, with Southampton. Southampton was, it, it was quite amazing. I think you could get six to one for us. Manchester United had had a, a great year. Southampton, we were very much an up and down side. Uh, we weren't very consistent at all. But we had some great players. We had Mickey Shannon, who was the, the England uh, number one pick uh, as in the forward line. We also had Peter Osgood. Peter had been transferred for a real big lot of money. I think it was something like 275 grand, which back then was, was a lot of money. Uh, and he, he had been a great player for Chelsea. So, you know, getting to Wembley, uh, United were flying. They, they absolutely had a great year. So it was all up to us to try and beat United. Well, after the first 20 minutes, I think we controlled the game very well, Andrew. And we run out easy winners in the end. I, I can't remember Man U doing a lot in the second half. But that was a a great thing for myself to actually win an FA Cup winner's medal. And and it says winners on it, even though Tommy Doherty says it was a, an offside goal. <laughs> what, what was your relationship like, like with Tommy? Because you hear so many stories about him. Tommy Doherty was great for football. He was great for people at the club. But if if you'd fallen out with Tommy, that was it. You were on the high road, and and that was it. You know, but I fell fell out with him quite a few times. But I always had respect for Tommy Doherty, and and it's also quite poignant, really, that we're talking about who, the guy who's maybe the oldest living Celtic player. Wow! Yeah, when you think so, of it, yeah, yeah. Tommy Doherty is. Uh, there's so many stories you can tell about him and, and stuff like that. But the one thing that nobody could ever take away from Tommy Doherty is his passion for football. Tommy Doherty, uh, another Gobbles boy, got into to Celtic, got in the Scotland team, had a lot of success as a manager, a great character in a a, a, a great guy to you know to meet and to talk to. So you know Tommy Doherty was a, a big thing in my life because he signed me at seventeen, and uh, he picked me for Scotland, and he also uh, signed me again for Man United. Wow, some memories there. 
Yeah, great memories, but the, the thing was with a dog, you could also have a good laugh with him, but most of the managers back in the day, Andrew, they, they, they weren't under as much pressure as the guys nowadays. I mean, two or three bad games and, and you know, everybody's kind of looking over their shoulder a wee bit at you. So, you know, they, they got time in, back in the day, really, and uh, hopefully, you know, some of the football after the you know, the lockdown, maybe the, the directors and, and people that run the football clubs or, or maybe look a little bit more kindly at managers because it's a tough game. You've got a lot of people to consider and you've got a lot of people that you've got to please. So, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a great job if you've got it, but it's a tough game to, to handle. You've done a little managing yourself. You managed Halifax, didn't you? Yeah, we had, I had a great time as the manager of Halifax. I really enjoyed it. I need to tell you this tale, uh, Andrew. You'll, you'll love this tale. We played Doncaster and I was at Halifax. And I, I as the manager, I checked uh, Doncaster out quite a few times. And I felt really confident that I had the plan to, to beat uh, Doncaster. So when we came to the, the day of the game, Billy Bremner was manager of Doncaster at that time. So I've seen Billy before the game, I had a little chat with him, and we got in the dugout. And as you come out of the tunnel at Doncaster, I was on the left-hand side dugout, and, and Billy was on the right-hand side. And the game started, and it was quite early on, and Doncaster scored. And Billy popped his little face out, his red hair, and he winked at me and smiled at me. And then I thought, you wee bugger type of thing. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm sat there watching the game. Anyway, they, they scored two and Billy's done it again. So he's come out of the dugout and he's nodded to me and winked to me and, and laughed. And I thought, Jesus. Anyway, they go three up and Billy's there again and he's, he's looking over at me and, and laughing his head off. Anyway, I'm sitting there thinking, it's about five minutes before the, the end of the first half. I'm thinking, how am I going to say something in here? How can I change this around? I've got to be careful. I've got to be clever. I've got to get something, get through to them somehow. Anyway, we went in the dressing room. Everybody was in the dressing room. Says, wash your, your face or get your cup of tea and everybody sit down and listen. So I thought, it's got to be short and sharp, Jim, and that's it. Let's do it. So they're all sat down. I waited for a little bit just to really bring the focus on myself. And I just looked around the room. I said, look, go out, win the second half. And I walked out the door. I never said another word. Went in the dugout, did a Jose Mourinho and sat on my own in the dugout. They come out, the, the team, second half, 3-1. I got out of the dugout, smiled over to Billy. 3-2, got out again, a wee smile to Billy. Three each, a big, big grin on my face to wee Billy Bremner. So another five minutes later, we're 4-3 ahead. So I thought, Jesus, how good is that? Out the dugout I went and waving to Billy. So I went back in the dugout. We ended up winning 4-3. So went in after the game, and I always remember the coach driver come in. Uh, I don't know why he, he come in anyway. He says, boss, are we going straight home? I says, look. I says, 
if we can celebrate winning 4 3 and stay here, we're going to a social club and you ring your wife and tell her you're going to be late tonight. <laughs> so I went out of the dressing room. I'd been invited into Billy's room. So I went into Billy's room and I'm talking with, with Billy. Alan Clark, his ex leads teammate, was in, the, in his room and his office. And so was Arthur Graham, who's a big Celtic now. Arthur played for Leeds United, played for Aberdeen, and he also played for Manchester United. And uh, we were all having a, a glass of beer and we were all talking away and, and all the rest of it. And, and I'm laughing at Billy every time he looks at me. And then all of a sudden, Alan Clark broke the wee bit of the silence and he says, Jim, for fuck's sake, he says, what did you say to them at half time? I says, I just told them to win the second half. And you did. We did. It was it was great. I mean, God, we had such a such a night in Doncaster. I thought you got to celebrate three 0 down and come back to four three. That was marvelous. You should have told him you give them a masterclass on tactics. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> of course I'd I'd great respect for Leeds because I'd started at Leeds. Alan Clark wasn't there, but Billy was at Leeds when I when I first went to to Leeds, and of course they had the mammoth games with. Battle of Britain with Celtic, uh, you know, amazing times really back in the day and uh, total respect uh, for each other, Celtic and Leeds. And, and of course, so did Don Revy and Jock Steen. Now, you just after mentioning a game there. Do you remember that game, the semi-final? Not really. Not well, really. That, well, then I'm going to pick it again. I'm going to name a player that played in it because I know the corner you're standing Close to when you before you go into Celtic Park, and I know a few of the boys that've been that corner. And anytime I talk yes. to him, this man's name comes up again and again and again. Bobby Murdoch. Yes, fabulous player. Was he as good as everybody says? Yes, uh, I would say so. Um, I think it took a, a while for people, perhaps outside of the game, to realise that. But I think that the, the thing was the players knew it, and you know the. The, the most important thing, really, when you're you're playing football, Andrew, I think, is the respect to your of your teammates in the dressing room, and of course, everybody in the Celtic dressing room knew what a player Bobby uh, Bobby Murdoch was. So I think he maybe didn't get as much acclaim as what he should have done, but um, certainly a, a great Celtic player and and a great Scotland player, definitely, yeah. Definitely a world-class player in my eyes. Yeah, his name certainly gets mentioned every time I speak to John Fallon about any game he played. Bobby Murdoch was the engine. Yeah. He just holds him in such, such high regard. Now, Jim, yeah. when I have you on, I want to pick your brain about something that I don't know a lot about, uh, and I'll admit to that. You went to play in America with Chicago in the late 70s, and so many talented players from around the world headed for America. So there was obviously money there in this new game, which... They called soccer. Bobby Lennox also went over. I think he went to Houston, and I think there's a Celtic supporters club called after him. Just tell us about that experience and what you found when you arrived, and was it what you expected? Though, how different was it to playing anywhere else? It was certainly different because the the one thing the stipulation back then, um, Andrew, was you had to have five American players in your squad. Every squad in the in the league. You had to have five Americans. 
whether you played them or not, that was up to you. But obviously, it was very difficult to get, you know, such a lot of Americans that was up to the standard. But the thing was, most of the players that was going out there were older players finishing off their career. But you could go out there and play for four or five months and then still come back to, to England or to Scotland and still get a game till the end of the season. So it wasn't like a year's contract. But the thing that I thoroughly enjoyed about it was I was a, obviously a big um, big fan of Pelly, And um, I think it was five games into um, me being there, which I went to Chicago Sting. We played the New York Cosmos, who Pelly uh, w- was playing for. And it, it was quite an amazing scene that day and, and to play against Pelly. Um, because what they did back then was they would introduce you individually. And of course, they, with Pele being in town, there was a big crowd um, and, and obviously a lot of people wanted to see them. And, and I was dying to play against them and hopefully shake his hand at the end of the match. Well, we were all outside and it was quite, it was quite cold. It was three o'clock kickoff in the afternoon and we all stood about. Anyway, it came to the end. And uh, Pele come out, and uh, when he come out, they introduced him to the crowd. Anyway, he went and he did a lap of honour. And we were all standing there, and we were freezing, and we were all shouting out, get back over here, let's get started. We're freezing. <laughs> and he went all the way around the pitch, and the sambos were on, and the drums, and Pele was dancing away, and we were bloody freezing. We're thinking, Billy, get back here. Let's get started. Anyway, he came back and and for his cheek, really, we beat them 2-1. Good stuff. And did you get to shake his hand? Yeah, of course. We were, it was great to play in the same field as him. And we did actually play them. I played in the game against them at the, the Cosmos Stadium in, in New York. And uh, we beat them there as well. So it wasn't a fluke. We beat them twice. So that was... Uh, uh, that was a big thrill, really, to you know, to be on the winning side against Pele twice. But the American thing, um, it was um, it was always going to be. A, a, I thought back then a wee bit hit and miss, Andrew, because the important thing is is to get football in the the schools and in the the boys clubs and get the young people playing it, so that there's a future. Um, it's okay paying out the big money for, you know, professionals that are coming to the end of their career and, and some young professionals that perhaps haven't made it in, in the UK could go out there and, and have a chance uh, making the grade in America and have a better lifestyle, Andrew. That was, you know, the other part of it. But as regards the the money, the money was obviously good and for a player coming to the end of his career, that, that just helped you that bit. Uh, that bit more yeah no it's just it's always something that just as a kid I remember seeing you know pictures in soccer annuals like Pele playing in America and uh, all all the greats so it's just something that when I knew you were coming on I says you know I'm going to pick his brain a little about this American I need, I need, to, I need to tell you this story we were playing uh, we were playing Fort Lauderdale and the, there was a clock there and um, as, as it was in most grounds and I, I thought we'd We'd played a lot longer, and I looked up at the clock, and the clock was five minutes to go. 
And there was a wee guy playing for um, for Fort Lauderdale, and he was a real cocky wee thing. He really was. And we were beating him. And uh, he, he was really annoying some of the boys with what he said. And for whatever reason, I thought it was just about a minute to go. I got the ball and I took it over to him and I sat on the ball in front of him. And I just sat there and waited for him to come and get the ball. And as he come to get it, I flicked it and I stood up and I just looked at him. And I thought, that's it, the game's over now. Anyway, the clock was going every 15 minutes. <laughs> so I'd sat in the ball, took the Mickey out of him, took the Michael out of him, and there's still 15 minutes to go. That's because your legs were getting older. That's why. Before I let to go as well, um, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I worked with a former League of Ireland footballer from Balbriggan in North County, Dublin, uh, called Sean Wilson. And when I was when we were doing the gig in Celtic uh, Game in Malone's, I, I hadn't worked with him for a few years, but he got in contact with me. And he said, uh, ask Jim, and I, I don't think I did on the day, does he remember coming to Balbriggan as a kid? With, uh, yes, I do. Boys Club or something. That's right. I was with St. Francis Boys Boys Guild, and we were over there uh, camping. So there was about, I think, possibly maybe 20, 30 uh, the, the young people from St. Francis Boys Guild. We went out to Ireland and on the boat, and uh, we were camping there for about a week. It might have even been longer, Andrew, but yeah, that that was right. But the, the, there was a bridge on the way home for when, when you used to go to um, go into the town. And, of course, young boys at 13 and 14, you think you're the, the bee's knees, don't you? And we would try and stay in town as long as we could. But the only problem was to get to the camp, we had to run under this bridge. And this bridge was known as the, the Banshee. So it was a big taboo back in the day. And what we used to do is we would get to the, the, the front of the bridge and it was probably about 30, 40 yards through this tunnel kind of thing. And uh, we used to get ready and wind ourselves up and the banshee's coming, the banshee this, the banshee that. And then we used to tear through this tunnel as quick as we could go because we're obviously a bit scared of it. But yeah, we did. It was it was great. We, we thoroughly enjoyed ball brigging, yeah. And and that went on for many years after after you were there because I know um, one of the lads that travels with us, Freddie, uh, is steeped in Celtic tradition. He, he's from Glasgow and uh, he came on one of them little trips and he ended up meeting a girl and years later they got married and he settled. He still yeah. lives in Ireland. He still travels over to the games with us. So it was it was obviously uh, there must be a connection somehow, you know, maybe through a priest or through a teacher or. Because it started somewhere and it went on for many years. And I believe there were some great games of football. Yeah, the, it, it was. It was amazing. Um, people used to say about gobbles and gobbles this and the gobbles that. But the gobbles was fantastic because I went to, you know, I went to my, my school, which was St. Francis Boys Guild. But the, the boys club, St. Francis Boys Guild, was open every night in the week. It was open at the weekends. There was teams, there was table tennis, there was snooker, uh, there was boxing. You know, there, there were some great people that run St. Francis Boys uh, Guild and also St. Luke's Boys Club, where I went to when I got a bit older, when I was about 13, 14. 
And there was guys there that were devoted to, to keeping these places open at night so that, you know, people like myself and, and other kids in the Gobbles, you know, would keep us, uh, keep us occupied and we wouldn't get into any trouble anywhere. Yeah, big shout out for, for the Gobbles as regards looking after the community. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think we could do with some of them places now, Jim. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it was a great thing. And, and I, I remember the guys' names. There was a guy called Joe McCabe at St. Francis Boys Guild. There was Billy Wallace and Tam Daly at St. Luke's Boys Guild. You, you just remember them because you, you knew that they put in time for you, Andrew. And they were lovely, lovely men. They were always there for the kids. Brilliant. Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I've I've uh, decided after a long, long time I'm going to write a book. Brilliant. Yeah, so my book will be um, it'll be getting um, hopefully published uh, either the end of this year or maybe in the beginning of the new year. But I, I've thought about it for a lot of years, Andrew, and I just didn't want to do anything that was going to be sensationalism. I, I want to talk about football. I want to talk about things that, that maybe the, the spectators or the fans, you know, have never heard about. And uh, because football has enriched everybody's life. You can, doesn't matter who you talk to, whether you're a, a player, whether you're a, a director, um, an administrator, whether you're the fans, I think my old um, my old manager at Sheffield Wednesday he he gave out a saying about about football and 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 how good football had done down through the years. He said it was uh, it was about creation that football you know was even better than the creation of the world type of thing, which is quite amazing. People love football, Andrew, and and so many people have. I've taken part in football. But Jim, like we've only touched on your story today and even just the conversation. I can't wait for the book because I know the gobbles well, the teams you played for, the winning, the losing, scoring that goal. And then your childhood and visiting Balbriggan, which is only up the road from me. So like, I'm sure there's a lot of people be looking forward to this book and maybe a few might be weary. No, I don't think so. No, it's something, like I said, I have such a passion for football and uh, it's about football and it's about the, the wonderful sport that it is. Well, Jim, the best of luck and we look forward to reading and, and going to the book launch. I'm sure there'll be plenty of free champagne. Hope so. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Just before you go, I, I was mentioned there before we were chatting about the book. The people that's around that little where you stand outside the pool's office, the knowledge of Celtic is unbelievable and of life. And you have the King of Donegal, Charlie McGinley, there as well. Yes, Charlie's a great guy. John McLaughlin, they're all around there. John Fallon, Charlie Gallagher. Anybody wants to come and say hello, we're, we're always round about the pool's office and we'd be delighted to say hello to you. And also be there be Tommy Stevenson, who seems to be getting younger by the season. Yeah, of course, Tommy and his and his boy and his grandson. So keeping up the tradition. It truly is a brilliant club to follow. And the little pockets that we meet outside the ground and we have a little chat and, you know, a little nod of the head some days. And it, it, it was a pleasure. It was I think it was Charlie that introduced me to you. 
And it's always been a pleasure to speak to you and Debbie. And um, maybe someday I'll come and stay in the bed and breakfast. Yes. Anybody else wants to come, give us a shout. Yeah. Langside, bed and breakfast. It's in Fenwick, F-E-N-W-I-C-K. It's in Ayrshire. And uh, we'd be delighted to see any Celtic fans. So on the way to on the way to Celtic Park from Stranra. Hell Debbie to get the rashers out of the fridge. I'm on my way. Yeah, that'll be great, Andrew. Look forward to seeing you. Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Thanks to Jim for taking time out to chat to me today. From the Garbles in Glasgow to Wembley, from Chicago to New York. Tommy Doherty, Billy Bremner, Larry McManaman, Paddy Crown. All big names in football. I can't wait to read his book when it's finished. Thanks once again to everyone who has visited our website, CelticFanzine.com. We are currently working on issue 110 of the fanzine, which will be the first of the new season. And I would like to thank everyone who has signed up for subscriptions. Thanks also to everyone who bought one of our t-shirts. The new Rude Boys one has certainly caught the imagination. A couple of old skins and Rudies out there are obviously supporting Celtic. You can check out all our t-shirts and merchandise at our online shop at celticfanzine.com forward slash shop forward slash. And we have new designs going up each week. Your support means we can continue to create free content and free live events as we move closer to returning to a new kind of normality. The podcast is available on all platforms, Apple, Acast, Spotify, or whatever platform you prefer. So please subscribe and follow us so you never miss an episode of the Celtic Soul podcast. And don't forget to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also listen to all the podcasts on our website. Thanks again to our sponsor, Brian Hogan Celtic Supporters Club down in Tipperary. And thanks for giving Shane again a copy of the fanzine. I love the picture of him with the mag. Quality boys, I owe you a point or two and I finally get down after lockdown. Special thanks, as always, to our producer, Ronan McQuillan, and to you, the listeners. Thanks for all the comments. Keep them coming in, and don't forget to let us know your story or who you would like us to have on the podcast. Enjoy the weekend. The restaurants and the bars are back open, and I'll be out myself celebrating with my Rangers supporting mate for his 50th birthday. What the fuck? Calm down. It's my Queen's Park Rangers supporting me, Baz. The face of Ronan, the producer, when I said that. Amazing what one word can do for people. We will be back on Tuesday with episode 12, when my guest will be Keith Galloway, an Australian rugby league internationalist who played at the highest level in Australia and also with the Leeds Rhinos. And when at the Rhinos, it gave him a chance to come up to Glasgow to watch the team he supported as a boy, Celtic, after his dad brought him up the Celtic way after emigrating from Scotland. Keep the faith and remember, we still have to keep safe as we wait for the fixtures, which should be out soon, if Hearts and Co. don't win their civil action against the SPFL, which, to be honest, we don't need. We need to get the fixtures out, and we need to get back watching Celtic as planned on August the 4th, even if it is on the TV, because we are going to do 10 in a row. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.